Well, happy Sunday, everybody. So glad you're here. Come on. I was the only person who was excited about Spring Hill Day Camps. I know you don't know this, but my wife and I, my beautiful wife, we met as Spring Hill Day Camp counselors. And the rest is history, everybody. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Well, my name's Evan. I do. I want to welcome all of our campuses again, Coopersville, Muskegon, all of you who are joining us online, all of you in Spring Lake. So good to see you. Thank you for being here, for choosing to spend time with us this weekend. I also want to give a special shout out to those of you who are joining us for the first time. We are so excited, wherever you are, whether you're in front of a laptop or whether you're here in one of our campuses, we are so excited that you're here. We hope you feel right at home. There's no secret password. There's no secret handshake. We are just glad that you're here. And this service was designed with you in mind. And so there's something here for you. Um, hope, you feel, hope you feel right at home. We're excited. We are in part two of a series that we've called A New Kind of Family. And we're going through the book of Galatians. Galatians is a book in the New Testament. It's thought to be one of the earliest books that was written to the New Testament church, the church after Jesus left. And it's written by a guy named Paul who's writing to churches in the area of Galatia, which is kind of modern-day southern Turkey. And he's writing to them to try to help them live out what the gospel looks like. He's trying to help them look more and more like how the church is supposed to look. And so if you're not a Christian today, if you, if you wouldn't say that you necessarily follow Jesus, this, this should provide a really good picture of what the church should look like. And so we're, I'm excited to go there to do, today. We'll be in chapter two. But before we do that, we believe that the Bible is not just a book. It's not just a history book that was written 2,000 years ago that we open and find really good principles in. We believe that the same person who inspired the entirety of the Bible is here today. And he loves you and he knows exactly what's going on in your world and he wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. And so we do this every week where we just take time before we dive into God's word so that you can silently affirm that whatever God has for you, whatever he wants to say to you, however he wants to move, that you want that too. And so wherever you are, let me just give you a moment to do that in the silence, and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you knowing that you're here, and we thank you that, that you want to speak to us. You're not mad at us. You don't want to get us in trouble. You're not angry. You're not up there holding a clipboard, but you're here and you want to move and you want to speak and you want to encourage. And so God, I just pray that you would do that for every single person under the sound of my voice, that this would be a holy moment, that this would not just be run of the mill, but that you would show up in a meaningful way. God, I just pray for every single person under the sound of my voice that you would give us the wisdom to hear you for what you want to say for our lives and that you would give us the courage to respond. I pray this for, for all of us now. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody said amen, amen and amen. Week two, we're in week two. If, if you missed week one, uh, just go to allshores.org. It's there on archive. You're, you're not going to want to miss it, but we're in week two, and we're going to spend the rest of our time today trying to answer one question. Here it is. How do you know if your faith is actually working, how do you know? If you're 
not a Christian today, if you're not a, a part of the church, you've probably still heard this word, faith. And as Christians, you just got to know something. You have to know that as Christians, some of us, most of us, we have faith issues, okay? Some people have trust issues. As Christians, we often have faith issues because we're, all, we're often asking, do we have enough? Do we have the right kind of faith? Do we need more? Because we've come into circumstances where we've prayed to God for things and they haven't happened. And often what we say to ourselves is, wow, I must not have had enough faith. And so we're just going to talk about that today. And we're going to use Galatians 2 as a backdrop just to see what God's word has to say about faith. How do you know if your faith is actually working? We're going to dive into a story in Galatians 2, and you're going to see some names like Peter and Paul and James and, and other things. And I'll explain those all as we go through. But let me just dive in. We'll start in verse 11. Here it is. It says this. But when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he said self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, that's Jesus' brother, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, after Peter's friends came, he drew back and he kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. Now, this word Gentiles is a word that we don't use anymore. But Peter and Paul and James, they were all Jewish. They grew up Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Um, pretty much everyone who Jesus talked to and did miracles among and all those things, they were all Jewish. And so they used this word Gentile. And all, all that it means is that they did not grow up Jewish. So all they're saying right here is that Peter and um, Paul were hanging out with Christians who did not grow up Jewish. But then after Peter's friends came who were Jewish, um, he backed off. And really, this talks about for fear of the circumcision faction. Now, if you do not know what circumcision means, I am not going to tell you, okay? <laughs> if there's one thing I leave unexplained, it'll, it'll be that, okay? Lord, help me. But Jews and Gentiles were supposed to keep separate. And, and so Peter's friends and Peter do that. We go on. This is, Paul, this is Paul talking still. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? And now let me break down what's happening between Peter and Paul and, and the church at Antioch and his friends because it's more significant than just Peter moving lunch tables. But you have to know Paul. Paul, um, when Jesus was alive, Paul was not Jesus' friend. In fact, he was a part of the group that um, wanted to kill Jesus and wanted Jesus to go away. And after Jesus is crucified, died, after he's buried, after he's raised again to new life and ascends into heaven, Paul is so angry, he's so up in arms that he gets a new job title. And, and at the top of his job title is to hunt down Christians, to imprison them, and, and ultimately to kill them. That's Paul. And so Paul does a really good job at this, and he's on his way to different cities, rising through the ranks. And all of a sudden, one day, on the road to a city, Paul sees a vision of Jesus. He meets Jesus, and, he sa and Jesus says these words, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And from that day, Paul turns around his life completely, and instead of hunting down Christians, he actually commits his life's work to building up the church. And that's why he's in Antioch. Because of people like Paul who were persecuting Christians, Christians scattered from Jerusalem for their lives and went to all these different cities throughout um, the Roman Empire. 
And one of them was Antioch. Now, Antioch is in modern-day Syria. It was probably the third largest um, city in ancient Rome, big city. And some disciples had gone to Antioch. You can find this in Acts 11. And amazing things started happening. Scripture says that um, a great number of believers turned to the Lord. And so the church in Jerusalem sends Paul and his friend Barnabas to go to the church in Antioch to build them up. And then Peter comes. Peter was Jesus' right-hand man while, while Jesus was alive. And Jesus has actually entrusted the church after he's left earth um, for Peter to lead it. And so Peter's been doing the best that he can, and he's leading this largely Jewish Christian movement. And as he does, Peter encounters controversy, which if you know Peter is not new for him. And, he, and this is the controversy because Jesus was a Jew, Peter was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. Every, everyone, almost everyone that Jesus came to was Jewish. And the Jews had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for a Messiah, for a Christ, and Jesus came. And so their understanding was that Jesus came for them. And if anyone wanted to follow Jesus that wasn't Jewish, that's okay. You just have to become Jewish, and then you can follow Jesus. Except that Peter has a vision of Jesus as well, where, G, where Jesus says, tells Peter, no, 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 I didn't just come for you, I came for everyone. And Peter actually sees this with his own eyes where um, the Holy Spirit is given to some Gentile, some non-Jewish believers right in front of Peter, just like the Holy Spirit was given to the Jewish believers. And so Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he tells the church about this and he gets lit up. Like he, they, they are so angry and Peter gets burned. And so when Peter comes to Antioch, and when he's sitting with Paul, and when he's sitting with the Gentile believers, and when he hears that door open and in walk his, his Jewish friends, he reacts. Even though it's not in line with the truth of the gospel, even though the Holy Spirit does not distinguish between persons, between Jew and Gentile, something within Peter just reacts. And Paul calls him out for it. Why am I giving you all this backstory? Because you and I are often caught between what we believe and what we do. And often there's a gap between them, isn't there? And this is the example that Peter has with his life. This is what he shows us. Remember, we're talking about faith. This is, this is what we learn from Peter's story, that faith can't be just about what you believe. It's what you bet on. That faith is bigger than what we believe. It shows up in how we walk, how we talk, who we hang out with, what we spend our money on, where we spend our time. That faith is bigger than what we believe. It's what we bet on. It's how we live. And Paul was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. They both grew up with the same rules. But somehow, somehow Paul was able to operate from his faith in a different way than Peter. And for the rest of chapter 2, Paul is talking to Peter and his friends and he shows us how. And so this is in the next verse. We pick up in verse 15. It says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. But we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by doing the works of the law. You see, Peter and his friends believed a lie. And that is you are what you do. And that if you want to be blessed by God, if you want to be saved by God, that you have to earn it. And Peter and his friends, they're not bad. 
They were just trying to follow the law. Guess who gave them the law? God did. They, they weren't trying to do anything wrong, but God had given them something that was supposed to point them to him, but instead, hundreds of years later, it became a barrier to them. I'll, I'll give this example. So we have three little girls, four and a half, two, and three weeks old. Please pray for me, okay? Um, we have three little girls, and we have so many toys. I don't even know where we got all of these toys. They're just out all the time, stepping on them, trying to put them away. And so I often tell my girls, hey, can we pick up some toys, right? It's a good thing. But if my girls were so focused on that rule, if they were so focused on picking up those toys that they never actually spent time with me, that would not be what I want, right? And that's what happened with the Jews over time. They became so focused on what the law says that it was preventing them from having a relationship with God. This is what the law says. The law says that you get out what you put in. The law says that you earn the right to be blessed. You earn the right to be saved. Follow these rules and God will forgive you. But Paul says, no, 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 no. We are saved. We are justified by faith. And this is what faith says. That what didn't qualify you cannot disqualify anyone else. That's what Paul's trying to say to Peter is he's saying, hey, listen, we've done this. We've done this for hundreds of years. We've kept these rules and they didn't help us. So why would we put this on anyone else that we are justified by faith? And maybe that's been your impression of the church so far. Maybe the church has looked like a bunch of lunch tables and the good Christians who know how to keep it all together can sit over here and the rest of us who keep messing up can sit over here. But can I just tell you, that's, that's not how it works. That there's no first chair and second chair in Christianity. That there's no VIP table and the tables that are stuffed way in the back. There's just one table and you and I both get to sit at it. Paul goes on, verse 18. He says, but if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, I demonstrate that I'm a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. For I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I, I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. I love these verses. I love that Paul isn't just concerned about what we believe, but Paul is primarily concerned with how we live. And I love that he says, that we have faith in the Son of God. Not faith about him or not even faith for him, but in Christ. And here's what I think he's trying to say. That faith does not exist apart from Christ. That faith does not exist outside of Christ. Faith only exists in Christ. So if I had a pool, which I don't, and if you wanted to come over and swim in it, which you can't, you would come over and you'd get your bathing suit on, and you'd get your life jacket on, and your swim floaties on, and your goggles on, and your pool noodle on. And if you were standing on the edge of my pool that I don't have, and I came out, and I asked you why you weren't wet, you would say that I'm not wet because the water is in the pool, and I'm not in the pool yet. And that's what I think Paul is trying to say about faith, is where is the water? It is in the pool. Where is faith? It's in Christ. If you want faith, if you want to get wet, you have to jump in the pool. Why is faith only found in Christ? Faith is only found in Christ because it's his faith. 
It's the faith of Christ. So what does it mean when as Christians we say that we have faith? That means that we're tapping into Christ's faith. That we don't own any of our faith. We don't have it in our pocket. It's his. All of our faith that we have is borrowed. And that's where we get this faith thing backwards. We think we can hoard it up and spend it where we want. But let me just say it this way. Faith isn't something that you or I possess. It's something that he gives. We don't own it. All of it is borrowed. And here's where we often get tripped up because we think in terms of faith in terms of amount. And Jesus thinks in terms of faith, in terms of access. How do I know that? Well, Jesus and his disciples have this conversation. Jesus' disciples see everything that Jesus does, and they're like, man, you must have more faith than us. And so they ask him, and they're praying, Lord, give us more faith. Increase our faith. And, And look at what he says. He says, no, 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 no. No, that's not it. Because even if you had faith the size of, a, size of a mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, if you're asking why a tree needs to be uprooted and planted in the sea, I am with you, okay? But where we get stuck often as Christians is the mustard seed, isn't it? If I had a mustard seed in my hand and I was trying to show you, you would not be able to see it because, because of how small it is. And this is the heartbreaking thing about our faith issues as Christians, is we often go through life and we ask God for things and we're hoping for things and we're moving towards God and we're, we're hoping that things happen. And when, they don't, when things don't go according to plan, what do we say? We pull out that mustard seed and we say, man, I must not even have this much faith. Because if, if I even had a mustard seed side of faith, then the impossible would be done for me. Can I, just, can I just encourage you, church? That's not what Jesus is saying. We're not, we're not supposed to carry around our mustard seed and, and say, okay, man, all I need is this much. Pull it out and, and try to muster up faith, right? What Jesus is saying is even if you have the smallest amount of faith imaginable, even if you have the least amount of faith that you think you can have, you know what? It's enough. It's enough. Whatever faith you have, it's enough. You know Why? Because it's not yours. It's not mine. We don't muster it up. It's not something that we bring to the table. All the faith that we have, whatever we have, is his. I could say it this way. When it comes to faith, it doesn't take an amount. Faith just needs access. And this is what I mean by access. Every area of your life God wants to speak into. Every area. There is not an area in your life that God does not want to speak into it. And that can be overwhelming for us, but it's true. God loves you, and he has designed life a certain way, and he wants to help you. And he wants his faith to be able to have unrestricted access in your life and your heart. But often, often we don't. Often we give God restricted access. There are areas in our lives that God can't speak into. And I think, I think what this is saying is ultimately when it comes to faith, it's not the amount that matters, is, is does Christ's faith have unrestricted access in your life? Galatians 2 ends with this verse. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification came through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is what I think Paul's trying to say. 
is that it is the grace of God that you and I are not judged by the law. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that you and I are justified by faith, not by what we've done or haven't done, but that is the grace of God. And Paul's saying, I don't want to jeopardize the grace that God has given me by asking you to pay for something that was free for me. He said, I don't want to jeopardize the grace that God has shown me by, by making you earn it. This is what we know about faith. Faith has to move beyond belief. It's, it's more than just what you believe, it's what you bet on. That what didn't qualify you cannot disqualify anyone else. That faith isn't something you or I possess. It's something that he gives us. Faith doesn't need an amount, it needs access. Let's go back to that question that we asked at the beginning, you remember? How do you know? How do you know if your faith is actually working? What does a faith-filled life look like? What does it translate to? What's the connection that, that Paul draws between faith and what? What does a faith-filled life look like? What is it? It's a grace-filled life. That's the connection that Paul makes for us, that a faith-filled life leads to a, a grace-filled life where we receive the grace of God and where we freely give it to other people. That the deeper your faith goes, the more freely you'll give grace away. That the, the more unrestricted access that Christ's faith has in you, the more freely and willingly you will give grace away to other people. The deeper in faith you find yourself, the larger the wake of grace that will be left behind. And the more convinced that you and I are that faith and faith alone justifies us before God, the more freely we'll give away that same grace to other people. Because most of us have a grace gap. And it's because, of an un, it's because of unrestricted access of where faith can go in our lives. Because more often than not, we make people earn it. We move lunch tables. More often than not, we're like Peter. Knowing different, but acting the same. And grace fills the gap between you and your new kind of family. Grace is what you and I will need to extend to each other when things get messy, when there's doubt. Because people can't see your faith. They can only see the result of it. People can't measure your faith. They can only experience the overflow from it. You see, it's not what you or I do that get us into heaven. It's what has been done for us. And the pressure is off for us to try to stop people from falling. We just get to encourage people along the way as they take steps steeped in grace. I think some of you want to grow in this area. And some of you don't, and that's okay. You might, feel God, you might feel God pulling you in. You might feel God convicting you or something. I just want to make it as easy as possible for you to respond today with steps as clear as I can. And the first one is this, to ask God for faith. Here's what I'm not telling you to do. I'm not telling you to work harder. I'm not telling you to try more. What I'm asking you to do is to ask God for something that you don't have in and of yourself, that only Christ can give you, that to give him unrestricted access in your life and heart for faith to go deeper than it ever has before. And then this, to invite others for feedback. And this one is hard because it's often the people who are closest to us who have the most realistic picture of who we are. And that's hard, but it's true. And to invite people in for feedback, because if you don't invite it, they probably won't give it, and if they do, it may not be helpful. So we have to invite it, and last is this, 
rinse and repeat because this is our lifelong journey. This is, this is the journey that God invites us on is to move closer to him, is to invite him into every area of our life, to ask him to move and change for no area to be off limits, but we just want to look more like you, Jesus. You know, when I look back on my life, most of the time, I look more like Peter. And I do have a Paul in my life. You want to meet her? This is my oldest daughter, Nora, if you're watching, baby, I love you. And Nora's amazing. She leads the charge for our three girls. And Nora asks a lot of questions. Like, I mean a lot of questions. Like, from the moment she gets up till the moment she goes to bed, she is asking questions. And she asks a lot of good questions. You know, we, we moved here a year and a half ago to be closer to family, my family, my, my wife's family. And my, my family's in Grand Rapids, so we go to visit them. And, and we were heading back here. We were driving north on 131. We were getting off at an exit. And I parked right at the light. And out my driver's side window, there was a man who was asking for money. And uh, we were having a, a good conversation in the car with our family. We were laughing. We were joking. So I didn't make eye contact. And as soon as the light turned green, I turned. And as I turned, Nora saw him. And so she asked a question. She said, Daddy, what is that man doing out there on the side of the road? I said, Nora, I think he's asking for money. And she said, Daddy, why is he asking for money? And I said, well, he may not have any. He, he might not have a home. He might need money for food. And then she asked a question. She said, Daddy, why didn't you give him any money? We have more than enough. It was a couple months later, November, where my wife and I, we were looking at a list for kids um, for Christmas presents, not our kids. It was um, kids who were in foster care in our area. And Nora asked this question. She says, Daddy, why are you, why are you wanting to buy those kids presents? And we said, well, if we don't buy them presents, no one will. She said, Daddy, why? Why won't their mommy and daddies buy them presents? And I said, well, sweetie, they don't have a mommy and daddy. And she said, daddy, where are they living? And I said, well, sweetie, people open up their homes and invite them in so that they can come and live with them. And she said, daddy, why don't we invite kids to come live with us? I have more than enough toys. I'll gladly share them with them. And can I just share that I know more than my daughter? I do. I know more about God. I know more about life. I know more about the Bible. But in some way, her faith has gone to places where I am still resistant with how freely we should show grace, with how we should look at people, with how we should treat people, with the overflow that God has given us, how we should freely give to others, that her faith has gone to places that my faith is still a little resistant. Wasn't it Jesus who said that unless you have the, the faith of a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God? I talked with, with Luke. This is the pair of entities, Luke and Kyla. They're a part of our church. Um, we support them. They're on the mission field. Actually, those are their um, two little boys. She's pregnant with a third. They're in the Czech Republic. 
And we were just talking this week about, about this passage and about what's going on in their neck of the woods. And, and they've um, just finished uh, their first four years and they're back raising up money so that they can go back um, for another three and a half. They're so excited about what God is doing in their backyard. And, and I was just talking with Luke about, about what they're seeing and how they're working with Czech national pastors and how you know iron sharpens iron where little Paul and Peter, where they're calling each other up. And Luke and Kyla and their family and their friends, they're doing the same thing that Paul was doing thousands of years ago where he's, they're trying to remove unnecessary barriers to the gospel so that people can respond to the truth of who Jesus is. And the pandemic looks different there. They've been locked inside and the one constant for them has been social media. And so he, showed, he shared with me how excited they are to launch a new social media campaign where they're going to reach interested and spiritually hungry people on social media and when they find them they're going to get them into a zoom bible study group and they're just going to walk through the bible and ask questions like man what surprises you about this or who does this speak to who god is if i were to have your picture up on the screen a month from now what would i be able to say about the steps that you're taking because here's the deal I don't know your story, but I do know one thing. You're broken. I'm broken. That's what it means to be human. And yet God invites us on a journey to walk more closely with him, to give him unrestricted access in our lives so that he can can change and transform us, so that he can bring renewal and life in areas that we thought were dead. And I just want to invite you to consider. I want you to invite, invite him into your life so that he can solidify some of those things for you and for me. And so let's do that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you today. And I just thank you so much that you meet with us. That any time that we need you, any time we want to meet with you, any time we want to talk with you, that you are there, that you have been waiting for this moment for life to slow down enough, for life to get quiet enough, for you to actually speak to us that we would hear you. And so I just pray for every single one of my friends, every, every person under the sound of my voice, that you would, that you would speak to them, that you would confirm something for them, that you would encourage them, that you would um, light up where you want them to go or what you want them to say, that you would let them know that you are in this with them, that you're not mad at them, you're not angry at them, but you want to move them towards a life with a more faith-filled and grace-filled wake. And I pray for that to happen in Jesus' name. I also pray for, for anyone who walked in today, who opened a laptop today, turned on their phone, who you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. You've never made that decision to invest, to, to lean entirely on him. And I just want to give you that opportunity if you feel like he's, he's tugging on something inside of you, if you feel like he's drawing you somewhere, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. not going to ask anything of you. I just want you to have a chance to respond to the God who created you, to the, to the one who loves you, who wants to help you. And so if that's you today, just pray this prayer after me right where you are. Say, God, I hear you. I know you're calling me. I'm so sorry for going my own way. I'm so sorry for for what I've done. God, will you forgive me? 
Will you offer me new life? Will you help me walk a path that's closer to what you've designed for me? Will you help me walk in newness of life? I want to follow you with my whole heart all of my days. I pray that you would do that. And finally, God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as a community that we want to look like the church as it was designed, that we want to love each other like you've designed this new family that we're a part of. And so teach us, help us, guide us, lead us. Give us the wisdom to hear what you're saying to us and the courage to respond. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And if you prayed that prayer, can I just ask you to do one thing? Can you tell somebody? Can you tell us? We would love to walk alongside you. We would be so excited to send you some resources and some gifts just to encourage you and help you that that none of us were meant to do life alone. We all were meant to do life together. And we just want the opportunity to do that with you. And so if that's you today, if you'll just, whether it's the QR code in the seat back in front of you or going to allshores.org and and hitting the button, connect with us, just fill out our online connection card um, because we would love to connect with you and send something your way.